Oh Lord, you are the one God, the true God. Help us to focus only on you. Help us to worship you and you alone. Open our hearts now, Lord, that we might hear from you. It's in your word that we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to uh, share a little bit about the word liturgy. Uh, liturgy is a word that we like to use a lot here uh, at Restoration. Uh, you might refer to us as a liturgical church. There's uh, obviously Anglican churches aren't the only liturgical churches. Um, every church, uh, in fact, has a liturgy. Every single church has a liturgy. In a church like this, uh, we, we try to make it really crystal clear, you know, we print out one of these bulletins for you. There's parts that I say, there's parts that you say, there's kind of a, an order to the service. Um, but liturgies are also things that aren't necessarily always printed out. Uh, some, if you've ever been to a, a church that doesn't give you a bulletin, there's still probably things that you figure out after attending there for a while. T uh, things that you figure out, like what you're supposed to say and when you're supposed to be in a certain place, those sorts of things uh, throughout the worship service. Every church has a liturgy. In fact, I would even go further than that. I would say every human institution has a liturgy. Every institution has a liturgy. So think about going to a baseball game, for example. Uh, you sit down, uh, then you stand up, there's a, a song that you sing, you place your hand over your heart, so there's even a, a physical motion that you do associated with that. Uh, there's rules to the game itself, rules for you as an observer of the game. Uh, there's a seventh inning stretch, you sing another song that kind of has nothing to do with anything, uh, and then you stick around and uh, you eat peanuts, so there's food that's associated with the liturgy, you know, uh, cheap hot dogs hopefully. Um, but everything has a liturgy. Movie theaters have a liturgy. You, we could talk about that. We could talk about shopping malls having a liturgy or classrooms having a liturgy. Every human institution has a liturgy to it. So I was talking to another uh, pastor. This, this gentleman is no longer a pastor. And if I'm being honest, he's a little rough around the edges. Uh, he, he's a little resentful, I think, for his profession. Uh, so I'm actually a little glad that he's no longer uh, a pastor right now. Um, but one of the things that he said to me, and I, and I heard him say this a long time ago, he says, I don't think people know why they go to church. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it was, it was a little shocking, right? Uh, and, and even I, I was like, I wonder if I could work that into a sermon when I heard this. But I was like, no, no, people don't want to hear that when they're here for church. But but like, think about it. Like, that's, it's, it's really rattling, right, to hear someone say that. And when he said that, like a good Minnesotan, I was like, uh, yeah, okay. You know, and then I kind of <laughs> changed the subject, you know. Um, but I think what he says kind of makes sense if, if we look at a broad sense about the American church. Because we, as, as the American church, we have forgotten the rich liturgies that we have inherited from our spiritual mothers and fathers. We've neglected those beautiful liturgies of our past, liturgies which, which have sustained men and women for generations before us as they've faced terrible things like war and famine and sickness and grief. It was those liturgies that, that helped them uh, remain um, secured to the faith throughout their lives. And generally speaking, we've traded those old liturgies for liturgies of the shopping mall, liturgies of the baseball field, liturgies of the, uh, um, yeah, movie theater. Which I, I feel a little weird saying that because a year ago we were worshiping in a movie theater. <laughs> um, but I hope we still were embracing the ancient liturgies that our mothers and fathers have given us. 
But anyway, it's because of that, it's because uh, we've forsaken a lot of those older liturgies that I can understand why some of us might be unclear as to what it is that we're exactly doing here. So I actually want you to, to take your bulletin and flip over to page five. So turn back a little bit. Our service begins the same way every single Sunday. It begins by us saying there on page five, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Technically speaking, theologically, liturgically, whatever, that's actually the moment in which the worship service begins, is when we say, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And these words remind us what the purpose is of why we gather. We're here to experience God, to bless his name, to honor him, to explore the mysteries and the depths of his, his nature, being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we say, blessed be his kingdom, now and forever. Amen. In other words, we ask God for his rule, his, his order in this world, the stories of his marvelous deeds, the joy of his presence to permeate our very own lives. We gather to, uh, to encounter God. We don't gather for the sake of entertainment. We don't gather to hear some sort of spiritual TED talk. Uh, we don't gather to, uh, simply because of the social hour. You know, there's elements, there's other benefits to being here, but we're here to encounter God. This is our spiritual work, and it is good work. It is beautiful work. It is enriching work. Because as we gaze upon this good God, we become more like him. He transforms us. His Holy Spirit moves within us and whispers to our hearts, draws us closer to his son, Jesus Christ, who directs our attention to God the Father, through these things, we become more like God. I think that's what Paul is getting at in his letter to 1 Timothy. So we're going to be looking more at that. Uh, as an aside, this little three or four sentences of this passage, I think there's ways that you could actually map it over an entire liturgical service. Uh, but we can leave that as an exercise for another day. But this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to a pastor, a spiritual son of his, uh, someone who he's raised up. And he reminds us of the good and necessary work that we have as God's people to do when we gather together. So we're going to be moving through this passage. So Paul begins by saying, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Now, we see that list of four things, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Uh, some theologians make a big deal out of the differences of those. Some do not. Uh, in fact, the reformer Calvin, he says, I don't completely understand the differences here. And it's like, well, if Calvin can say that, then maybe that's okay. Some of you are like, please don't mention Calvin in this church. You know, that's, again, we, as Anglicans, we draw from all the traditions, okay? Uh, even, even our brother Calvin. Um, the point that Paul is trying to make here in giving many expressions of what prayer is, is that prayer is supposed to be full. And I totally distracted so many of you about talking about Calvin like that. I can just tell. <laughs> You're like, whatever, whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, the point that, that Paul is making here is that our, our prayers are meant to be full and robust. We're supposed to make supplications that is detail. Uh, I'm, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm, no, I'm not going to go into details about those. But we are supposed to bring all the details of our lives, the broadest requests that burden us, and bring those before God himself. And we are to pray for all peoples 
all peoples, even kings and leaders of nations. In other words, we pray big. We pray big. We pray fully. We pray for everyone. We pray big. And this is remarkable that Paul is writing, that he actually wrote these words in the day that he did, because nowhere in the ancient world was there a Christian king. At the time, Nero was king. Nero was the emperor. And Nero was a terrible person. He ordered a fire in Rome, and then he blamed it on the Christians, and he, and he found them, and he, and he punished them. He persecuted them for that. And yet Paul is saying, pray for him. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those politicians who you disagree with. Pray for those leaders who are doing violent things. And what is it that we pray for? We pray for peace. Paul says that we, we pray for our leaders so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we pray against war. We pray against civil strife. We pray against riots. We pray against crime. We pray against the darkness that threatens all of us. You see, when a, when a nation is at war and when turmoil... Who suffers the most? What's the poor and the vulnerable? Uh, Those who don't have power or resources to change things. And so we're instructed, pray for peace for the sake of the poor. I mean, yes, so that we ourselves may live a quiet and godly life, but for the sake of the poor. And in fact, that's what the prophet Amos was getting at there. That's why God was so mad, because the people of God had stopped caring for the poor. And so he, he recoils from that. He draws his presence from that. So may we, brothers and sisters, when we gather together, may we pray big things. May we pray for peace because God loves the poor and God wants his church to thrive. So when I was a teenager, I had a summer job as uh, mowing lawns. Uh, it, was, it was a wonderful job. But one of the things that I hated is that the gas station was super far away. So whenever I ran out of gas, I was really, really annoyed. I hated that. And so in those days, my prayer life consisted of, oh God, may you please fill up the gas tank in my lawnmower. And like that was, that was probably about it. Um, unfortunately, it's probably the extent of my prayer life in those days. How you pray reveals the God who you pray to. How you pray reveals what you think about God. So are you praying for, uh, are you praying to the God of lawnmowers is kind of my point. (laughs) You know, do you worship a little God of lawnmowers or do you worship the God of the universe who sees all things and can shake all things? Who do you pray for? The scriptures here being clear, pray big, pray big. Well, Let's talk more about this God who we pray to. In verse 3, Paul says, God desires all people to be saved. I wonder who Paul had in mind uh, when he wrote those words. You know, maybe uh, who, who needed to hear in his day that all peoples need to be saved, that God desires all people to be saved. You know, maybe it was those nationalistic Jews who thought that they were the privileged favorites of God and had forgotten Abraham, uh, the promise given to Abraham that through them, they would be a blessing to all uh, nations, to all households of the earth. Or maybe it was those hyper-spiritual Gnostics in those days, those people who thought that salvation was obtained by having special knowledge, sort of being inside the in-group, sort of being those spiritual elites. They were the ones who maybe thought that salvation was just for them. Or maybe he had people like us in mind. People who are often tempted to think that salvation is only for those who look like us or think like us or behave like us. 
God's heart is bigger than that. He desires all people to be saved. Let's actually talk about that word saved for a minute. Because if you're like me, you may have grown up in a tradition where salvation was limited to kind of this idea that it was just about getting a free ticket to heaven someday. You know, I want to be saved so that I can eventually go hang out with angels and other holy people someday, right? And so, you know, pray this prayer, sign this card, you know, whatever, uh, and then we'll see you in heaven someday. Yes, eternal life is part of what it means to be saved. It is very much a part of it that when you die, when you pass from this world, Jesus will welcome you. And that is a beautiful crown jewel of salvation. But eternal life begins when you know the Father. Eternal life begins today. Salvation is so much more than just receiving a free ticket to heaven. Salvation means that those chains of pornography that hold you down can be broken and you can be freed from that. Salvation means that being imprisoned by a mental illness or depression or some kind of chronic illness, that doesn't need to define you anymore, but you can walk through those battles with brothers and sisters in Christ. Salvation means that whatever labels the world has placed upon you do not have to define you anymore. That you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Salvation can begin now. Evil, sin, and darkness do not need to control you now. Jesus says, I came so that you may have life and you may have it, have it abundantly. So we pray big because God's heart is big. That's why we pray big. But we can continue. In verse 5, he says, Paul says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. And then he says, this Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. The man Christ Jesus, he is a man. He is born of the Virgin Mary, raised in Nazareth, worked as a carpenter, probably stubbed his toe or stubbed his thumb maybe with a hammer. He walked our roads, he smelled our smells, he sat down with us and he listens to us. He is the man who laughs, he is the man who weeps with us, but he is fully God. As our creed says, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made. Through this God, through this, this, this Jesus of Nazareth, all of creation was spoken into being. He is the God-man. A mediator is someone who stands between two rival groups, the rebellious human, human race and the holy and righteous God. There was no peace. There was only war. Our rebellion against an infinitely holy God required an infinitely holy payment. And this is the God-man. This is the man, Christ Jesus. He's the perfect man who can make perfect justice. And the price paid, or a, a ransom, is a price paid to free captives, to free slaves. Jesus' own life was that ransom. He was that ransom. He paid the price once and for all upon the cross, giving himself up in establishing peace between man and God. He was the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by his resurrection, we know that it's true. We know that it was accomplished. The resurrection was the Father's great amen over the work that Jesus Christ had done. His work is big. His work is mighty. He's not just a God who merely hears our prayers 
and his heart is in the right place. He kind of wishes that this would someday maybe happen. No, he's the God who's actually doing the work to make sure that this can happen, that salvation can happen for you. Just as we asked, um, or he's done the work to make all this happen, we ask Jesus to deliver us because he has conquered sin. We ask Jesus to heal us because he has delivered us from death. He's defeated death. We ask Jesus for salvation because he is the God who saves. So originally I was going to conclude this sermon by looking at that, that final verse, uh, verse 7. Uh, there Paul says, he kind of says that he's been appointed to be a preacher, apostle, and a teacher. And those are what I was going to say, which I'll give you a little bit, I guess, uh, is, is that those are the three roles or, uh, that describe the mission of God's people. Just as Paul was sent out with a purpose, we are sent out with a purpose. And liturgically, we see this at the end of all of our services. It concludes by being sent out into the world to, to love and serve God. But I actually want to circle back here and ask a question. What is your big prayer? What's the big prayer that you brought with you today? We all have one. Every single one of us has a big prayer. What's yours? For many years, Molly and I, we prayed. Uh, this, this, this prayer even began before we announced restoration, before we said that we were planting a church. But we prayed for years that God would give us a building. Okay? And, and our house is like right over there, and we would drive to the community center, which is over there. And so I'd drive, I'd pull the church trailer uh, up Chicago here, and I would extend my hand to this building, and I'd say, oh, Lord, that's such a beautiful building. Like, please bless the congregation who is there. Um, may they thrive, Lord Jesus. But if it's in your will for us to be the next stewards of that place, may it be so. You are sitting in pews that should remind you that God answers big prayers. These people gave us, or blue chairs in the back, those chairs can remind you of that too. <laughs> but they sold us this, those sweet, dear, generous people sold us this building for a dollar. God answers big prayers. So what's your big prayer? Maybe it's a healing that you need in your life. Maybe uh, the school that your kids are going to right now is just an absolute mess and you don't know how it's going to get resolved. Maybe your workplace is toxic and, and you despise it. Or maybe after hearing a passage like this and being told that we're supposed to pray for kings and nations, you, you hear about this war going on in Ukraine and you think, oh God, can you do anything about that? Bring your big prayer before the Lord. This is why we have the prayers of the people almost every Sunday, is to gather these prayers. And if you have things that you want to add to that, let us know. Talk to me or someone on staff or, or go to our website, click the prayer button and let us know. There's a reason why we have that as a part of every service. It's because we pray big things because our God has a big heart and he desires the salvation of all people. He wants to see peace in our neighborhoods, your workplaces, our schools. He desires salvation for all, and he has done the work to make it happen. Every day we're given is another opportunity to experience greater depths, that salvation that he desires for you. So let us pray. Blessed are you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed is your kingdom now and forever. Lord, I pray that as we 
Um, as we continue to, to come and to gather here in your presence week after week, I pray that those spiritual truths would be made more known to us more clearly. Remove from our hearts any distractions, Lord. May we be bold in approaching your throne with whatever burdens we carry, Lord. May we offer our big prayers up to you because you are the God who desires all to be saved. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.